0: From Hype Beast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. It is officially season six of The Business of Hype, and we come out of the gates with not one, but two amazing guests to the show. And these guys both hail from the intersection of luxury and street. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the past few years, the world of luxury has been completely redefined and turned upside down. This week, we get to hear what it's like today inside a luxury house and a possible view on what it's going to be like tomorrow. Let's face it, street culture invented the concept of the drop. This is where brands forego the traditional fashion calendar of seasons and literally just drop or release products whenever they want. For streetwear brands, this actually came out of necessity. They lacked the funds to do fashion shows or attend trade shows and didn't have the network to gather pre-buys from stores all over the world. So what do they do? They just dropped products as they made them and hoped that their small but loyal fan base would support. It's no secret lately, luxury brands have adapted the same exact concept, but a multi-billion dollar corporation with dozens, if not hundreds of years of heritage has to think way beyond the drop. So how does a brand stay relevant in this confluence of street culture and high fashion luxury? Well, we get to hear from two people who probably have better insight than most. One may be young in age, but he's not new to the world of brand building. In fact, he was kind of born to do it a CEO who's taken over a storied brand and brought new life with a new generation of consumers coveting their iconic products. The other is a true OG who will forever sit as one of the most perennial menswear designers the industry has ever seen. He bridges the gap between street and luxury with effortless flow and attention to detail. So get ready. Everyone, please welcome to this special episode of The Business of Hype, the CEO of Remova, Alexandre Arnaud, and Christian Dior's Artistic Director, Mr. Kim Jones. First of all, thank you for having me in your beautiful offices. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, can you first, for those who don't know, introduce yourself? Who do we have in the studio today?
1: I'm Alexandre Arnaud, the CEO of Rimova.
0: Great. Uh, how do you go by Do you go by Alexandre or Alex or... Alexander's better. Alexander's better. Yeah. Okay, cool. Alexander. If you don't mind. No, no problem at all. <laughs> um, so tell me being CEO of Romova, um, which is a very, very old brand, right? Yeah,
1: 121 Help- years.
0: 121 years. Yeah. Okay, just by the look of your face, I don't think you were CEO from the beginning,
1: right? Uh, you never know. You know, there's some <laughs> techniques today that come and make yeah, you there's become some younger. No, no, no. I've been CEO for just over two and a half years. Right. The LVMH group just
0: recently acquired it, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: so we acquired it and I was appointed CEO uh, right linked away. to the acquisition, yes.
0: Okay. Um, what was your relationship to the brand prior to that? Were you aware of it already? Yeah, yeah.
1: I was a consumer. Uh, I've been using the suitcases for about 10 years now, I uh-huh. think. And uh, the story was that I, um, I courted the former owner, mm-hmm. wh- who was the grandson of the founder, and uh, became friends with him and took me, you know, a couple of years to make sure that he knew who we were, what the LVMH group was, et cetera, et cetera. And then mm-hmm. made this transaction happen.
0: Oh, OK. What did you love about the brand even
1: before you guys owned it? The product uh, mm-hmm. before anything, you know, the lightness, the durability, the usability, the flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I think those four things were Really essential in my journey with the product. Um, I, I use. I still have the suitcase. A big. It was called Salsa back then. It's like this carry, this uh, check-in suitcase uh-huh. that I just take everywhere when I go on vacation or for long trips. it's unbreakable and yeah. it still rolls super well. So right. You know. Yeah, definitely. I also like the design. You know, I think the very German aesthetic and mm-hmm. geometric design of the of the suitcase, which is kind of. I mean, there are some suitcases around here that are not so minimalistic, but the. Whole essence it, is, yeah. is quite minimalistic, which which resonates with me.
0: Do you remember from the time? What what was the name of the grandson that was running the company at the time?
1: Um, Dieter. Dieter. Yeah. So from
0: the time you met Dieter till the time you guys acquired it, how yeah. long was that
1: um, courting process? Eighteen months. Oh wow, that's a fa- that's a quick date. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> depends, you know, but. <laughs> Yeah, eighteen months was quite long, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because originally it was it was you know not the initial idea for for us to go on such a partnership or or an acquisition, right? So it was just you know friendly relationships that led to this.
0: Right. It's interesting that you were using kind of like a competitor's brand before you guys acquired it. Yeah. 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 Right. Like LVMH makes suitcases and
1: luggage. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it makes suitcases, especially at Vuitton. You know, back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're, you know, sixteen or seventeen year old kid, you don't want to go to school with a Vuitton suitcase. I mean, oh, you, you don't. You, you can, but you know, you, you <laughs> maybe you don't. Exactly. <laughs> but that's a bit like uh,
0: that's like Mark Parker's son using Adidas or something. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good that you guys uh, finally acquired it. Um, when you were appointed CEO of it, what was going through your head in terms of like a hundred and you know twenty plus year old brand and you're how old are you, if I may ask? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how do you go in and like take over this very, very historic brand? What was going through your head at the time?
1: I think first you listen, right? You you go through all the departments, all the countries, all the shops, everything. You listen to all the people within the company, what they have been doing. Some mm-hmm. people have been working with the brand and are still working with the brand for, you know, over 40, 50 years sometimes. So really take some time to kind of understand what they've been doing, what their ideas are. Mm-hmm. Then you spend some time with the customers as well. So we, I spent a lot of time in the shops uh, with the wholesalers and really understanding what people liked, what people didn't like, what we need to work on, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I see. And then from then, you know, a lot of ideas uh, get built quite quickly, um, especially around a few things. One is distribution. So as part of LVMH, we, most of our brands are almost only direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. with very little wholesale. Um, Remova was the opposite. And I think that works very well when you're a small brand growing independently, but once you're part of a larger organization, it makes much more sense to control mm-hmm. the whole client experience. Right. Then around communication, I think People knew about the brand without knowing about the brand, right? Um, When I would tell people, what is Rimova? uh, um, CEO of Rimova, they would say, what is this? And I would say, you know, the suitcases with the grooves. Oh, yeah, 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 I've seen them before in airports. So it was all about kind of um, building awareness Mm -hmm. and telling our story a bit better. And then obviously about product, because I think uh, what I always like to say is that I think our suitcases are kind of a blank canvas Mm -hmm. where a lot of people can reinterpret them, right? You see here Alex Israel, Virgil Abloh, um, some colors, some Mm -hmm. stuff, and and, you know, those still from afar, you can say that they're Remova suitcases. So it's kind of a canvas where people express themselves and then it's the magical expression of two uh, um, identities Mm -hmm. that stay true to themselves. Absolutely. You know, this is both an Alex Israel painting and a Remova suitcase. So I think Mm -hmm. that was, and and we're continuously uh, using this process and and going to build that uh, way stronger.
0: When uh, when you first started the conversation with the grandson, was there sort of you know it's his baby right or it's like his family? Was there a little bit of agita and hesitation in in the beginning? Did you have to do some convincing either to him or maybe to your father? That like this is a good partnership. You
1: know the the first idea was to build a partnership between them and LV. What I wanted to do it's a family it was a family business Mm -hmm. run for you know 118 years by the family. Yeah, in my idea of what family businesses are his son would have taken over right so I, I would I never thought that the business was going up for sale mm-hmm. so I wanted to build a partnership between them and LVMH for them to for us to acquire knowledge from their suitcase making for our brands that was kind of my idea when I went to meet him I see and then little by little you know I realized that um, he didn't want to pass the company over to his son and um, he didn't want to sell it to private equity or anyone else. Mm-hmm. And he was interested in selling it to us, knowing that what, you know, we respect brands and we really make them grow independently and by themselves. Yeah. And then ultimately he told me he wanted to sell the company to us and that he wanted me to become CEO. So, you know, that okay. was... wow. Uh, <laughs> and then
0: now you had to have that conversation with With LMH yeah, yeah, of course. And how was And that? not only
1: my family, but, you know, the CFO, the COO and things like that. Things mm-hmm. were, were quite easy because business was growing the sector is huge mm-hmm. um travel is a is a massively growing sector as well and the brand is a luxury brand in a way that it might not sell you know thirty euro pieces of luggage but it has all the attributes of the luxury brands that we have within the group it has strong heritage and dna yeah it has strong barriers to entry as well mm-hmm. strong craftsmanship um great image and things that and it's also a very entrepreneurial company because uh the the former yeah, well, owner yeah, yeah had Taking it, it was doing I think two million in revenue when he became CEO in the eighties and he took it all to four hundred and fifty. Wow. So on his own, you know, without the help of anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not even taking bank loans. So yeah. it, it was it was quite impressive.
0: You mentioned about the distribution and how yeah. most LVMH is sort of self sufficient mm-hmm. and owned. Remova was mainly wholesale and
1: percent wholesale. Yeah. Are you trying to flip that now? Yeah, we'll finish the year at eighty percent retail. What? Yeah. <laughs> in how in how long? In two years? Three years. That's crazy. Yeah, we, 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 so we, we basically cut down on a lot of accounts. Yeah,
0: you had to close a lot of accounts, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of shops, but mom-and-pop shops you know, around the US, around Germany and things like that, that were great for the first phase of the brand because mm-hmm. it got the product out there. But now that we really also have e-commerce, I think it's way better for us to control everything. So we, we, of course, uh, cut down on a lot of this.
0: How many stores are there now, Free like freestanding remote stores? At the end of uh, the year, there'll be
1: 120. Okay. On, on, on all continents. 120 years, 120 stores. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are you stopping here or are you going to keep No,
1: going? I think we're, we're, there's a few geographies where we can really improve. Mm-hmm. The Middle East, for example, where we just started, you know, we opened two stores in Dubai this year. We have nothing in the other countries. Um, China is also a massive opportunity. We, may, we might have like eight or nine stores. Um, right maybe, now in China? Yeah. And, and we still need to grow a lot. Yeah.
0: You could do a thousand in China. It's fine. Yeah. No, but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, was, I was reading the other day, I think there's a hundred and... 27 cities that have over a million inhabitants uh-huh. when there's 11 in the U.S. Wow. you know. So that gives you a bit of, of idea of the potential of, of China for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, I assume in your life you do a ton of travel? Yeah. Okay. So when you're traveling, are you now constantly just seeing how people travel and use their Yeah, homo- yeah. It? It's, it's very <laughs> obsessive, you know, work. And like, so how much of that, like that you observe then goes into like actual design thinking and product?
1: A lot, a lot. And not only myself, I think the entire company, right? I try to ask everyone uh, uh, what they think because we all travel a lot. We all have our habits and what we like and we don't like about traveling. And the Mm -hmm. uniqueness about the company is that, you know, whether you're a man, a woman, old, young, whatever, and you travel, you need a suitcase. So anyone working here, can have an opinion, but um, I think it's a it's it's a utilitarian thing. At yeah, it's, core, it's a right? functional thing, yeah. right? It's a functional object which dif- differentiates us a lot from other brands right. in the world. And obviously, you know, the flex dividers inside, we've done a ton of changes on them already because of habits of people mm-hmm. and what we've heard from ourselves and from customers as well and mm-hmm. a lot of other things for sure.
0: Alexan isn't the CEO who obsesses solely on numbers, revenue, or growth. He has a keen eye on the brand's DNA and product. What I really love is how important well-rounded diverse perspectives are for him. It says a lot that Remova and LVMH first started working with each other just as a consulting gig. But that working relationship morphed into something special, and both parties knew it. It wasn't a corporate takeover. It was a very special process that only happens if the ceo allows for an organic growth to occur now in terms of travel let's face it everyone's done some traveling in some capacity and we all have a nightmare story and on the other end i'm sure some of us have had amazing travel experiences too we know the things that can make travel better and alexand welcomes the opinions and viewpoints from everyone around him so that he can innovate remova's products after all How does a brand stay relevant when the heat of a drop cools down or when a collaboration story moves on? What are the raw ingredients that actually make for a timeless icon? Is it craftsmanship, quality, design, branding, a little of each, a lot of each? Alexander is never not thinking about how he can make the overall experience better and not through spreadsheets or decks like most CEOs, but through firsthand experience and conversation. That's the great thing about his approach. He's got his ear to the ground. This reminds me of my previous episode with music mogul Kevin Lyles. He said, it doesn't matter who you are or what level you're at at the company. He will ask you for your opinion on what you're listening to or what you think is hot. Alexander respects that type of opinion because we are all the consumer. So keep your eyes and ears open. If you have a product, especially one that serves a specific function or one that exists to help enhance an experience, be sure to really understand how people are using it, from the shape to how it moves, what's inside, even the unintended uses. Keep all of this in mind and stashed away in one of those mental files, because that, that is the magic pixie dust of how we continue to evolve and innovate. You must feel so sorry when you see somebody like struggling through an airport. You know, like when they have like three wheels because one came off and they're just... I they just want to be like, can I send you something, please? Um, what, so in all your travels now, what, what do you see as like... Some of the tips and tricks that you use to try to travel, like because it's a very stressful thing to do, yeah. travel. Is there some tricks that you have to like make it a little bit more? Pleasurable? Yeah.
1: So, so I don't really like to check luggage. Um, okay. I have to um, because we sell a lot of check-in suitcases, as you see here, mm-hmm. and we need to. I need to test them. So yeah. now I do, but generally, I think you know, really well organizing the suitcase. Um, leaving everything outside that you need to take out. So liquids and laptops and iPads, for example, mm-hmm. just to save time. And obviously everything in the U S with the TSA pre and all these things uh, that exist are, are super strong and get that and, sign yeah, up for all of as, that as stuff. soon as you can <laughs> so saves hours uh, and, uh, and pack light
0: so that you don't have to check in luggage.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, those, those, those are cabin suitcases. They can fit quite a, quite some things, you know, I, yeah. I can, I can probably leave it for a week mm. with, worth, worth, with just this suitcase, yeah. which is the cabin plus suitcase. For those who can't see what I'm pointing at, and yes. okay, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite efficient. It's not it doesn't get light because there's a lot of stuff inside, but it, mm-hmm. it can fit a lot of things.
0: Yeah, but that means also selecting, you know, yeah, not bringing yeah, yeah. eight pairs of shoes on a on a week no, trip. No, no, no. Um, let's talk about you mentioned some of the collaborators before, yeah, and. I mean, that's a new thing, right? Like, Romola wasn't doing all these collaborations before you took over. So
1: they did a couple. They did a couple. One with um, Bape, mm-hmm. when Nigo was still at Bape. Okay. It's a super cool uh, silver and gold mm-hmm. camouflage suitcase. Um, it's quite fun. Unfortunately, we don't have any in the archives, but because they were all sold. And another one with Montclair. Okay. But other than that, no, we're not collaborating too much. I think. Um, the the tool is industrial. So basically, it's a very hard industrial tool to modify because we use metal and a lot of uh, very... Hardware. Exactly. And, yeah. and there's huge presses and, and really machines that are not like machines to sew leather mm-hmm. or things like that, right? Yeah. And so it's very difficult to innovate and to change the product. Mm-hmm. Then I think the business model back then was so different that when you're an 85% wholesale brand, you have an order book, for 18 months that's filled of people having ordered, right? So you need to fulfill those orders. And if you tell them, hey, I'd like to produce 2,000 suitcases of this cool collaboration in the middle, it kind of puts things, uh, uh, it's kind of problematic. So so we brought this to the company. And then, you know, when we did the deal, I received notes from people around the world from fashion, tech, design, architecture, finance, food, whatever industry there was all the tastemakers within those industries who I knew emailed me saying, "Oh my God, I've been using Remova for five years, ten years, thirty years, whatever." So mm. that kind of showed me the potential of um, love and of uh, uh, innovation that we could have with those people. And then we selected a lot of them to to collaborate on the product. So, what is the strategy behind this? Is it is there, it is, strategic no, there is, is no there is no strategy? <laughs> it's, it's you know it's purely organic. It's organic. It's opportunistic. It's uh-huh. relationships. So mm-hmm. you know, Virgil yeah texted me. <laughs> saying oh wow it's amazing Remova was the first brand I ever wanted to collaborate with when I started off white look at all these designs I sent them all these years back they never replied can we do something together? I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course. And then, you know, he came up with the idea of the the transparent suitcase. Um, Backpack with a backpack strap. With the backpack strap, yeah. Alex had came, we were having breakfast in in LA and I told him, I love these sky paintings and I would dream to see a sky suitcase. And he said, oh my God, that's a great idea. Why don't we do this? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite organic, you know. How about the Supreme one? Uh, Supreme came with a conversation with James where he mm. said he had always wanted to do luggage, but he never, he uses Remova personally and he mm. had never wanted to uh, collaborate with a luggage brand. Yeah. And then I told him, why don't we do something together? And he was excited about it. Okay. So, yeah. And that was quite easy to do.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty amazing the the amount that has come out in such a short amount of time. It's really I think helped put Remova onto the map especially for younger people right. Yeah I
1: think the awareness grew a lot though, thanks mm-hmm. to that and and you know also not only to with younger people but we collaborated with Fendi for example mm-hmm. it, it was sold in all Fendi stores for about a couple months uh, beginning of last year and that was a huge success too it was almost 2000 euros for a suitcase which is quite new for us also to reach those those price ranges and we reached the Fendi consumer and you know we've been trying to kind of not Focus on one specific demographic right. or customer base or whatever, but like be keep it as around. inclusive yeah. as inclusive as we can in, in everything we do. So,
0: okay, so why Kim Jones?
1: <laughs> why Kim? Uh, why Kim? So yeah. Kim is a dear friend, and he uses our products and has been using them and you know showing that on social media for dec- almost a decade. I mean, he's always told me that. He's been using the suitcases for a super long time and he wanted to do some at Dior. And so we were talking together and, and I told him, you know, instead of just trying to developing something on your on your own, which takes a long time, millions of euros of investment, why don't we do something together? Yeah. I'm not going to white label my my suitcases and, you know, make Dior suitcases, but we could do kind of a Dior Remova right. uh, and he he was super interested in that and then he came to the factory he saw everything and, and on top of the suitcases he had other ideas which I think were very cool those little aluminum clutches I'm sure you mm-hmm. saw them in the show um, which are kind of a new accessory that take our DNA and our know-how of aluminum and then you know apply that to kind of what Dior knows how to do, which is handbags. Yeah. So so it's quite fun.
0: Is that a clue into like the future of Remova as well? Like yeah, I think expanding so. Expanding beyond luggage? I
1: think so, because um, right now, the suitcase is only part of your travel journey. You have it at the airport. On the plane. On the plane. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're at your destination, which is actually the nice part, it's in your hotel room, it's open, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to find a way to connect with consumers on a daily basis. Um, and I think those clutches are a good way, right? Because you have... The know-how, the craftsmanship, the design, mm-hmm. the coolness, but you know it, you can carry your stuff inside all yeah. day.
0: So Dior is part of the LVMH family, yeah. right? So in essence, you're sort of coworkers. Yeah, yeah. Are you involved in the Dior business at all? Or? No, no, not at all. Okay, so you're not like sitting next to each other and saying let's do something. You had to actually ask him as a separate company to come. And yes,
1: this. yes, right. yes. But I mean, then we're friends, and the fact that you know we're we're in the same group helps for sure. Right.
0: It seems like every person, place, or thing wants to do some kind of collaboration these days, right? Say what you want, but I think the best collaborations are organic and they start with a mutual love for each party and what they do. With Fendi, Off-White, Supreme, and so much more, by the time you hear this, Remova will likely be a household name. And you might think that these collaborations are calculated to bring some new energy to the brand. But in fact, they're simple, honest conversations with creatives who have a legitimate respect for Remova. These collaborations are between people, not brands. And you'd be surprised to hear that some of the greatest collaborations function the same way. Remova suitcases are utilitarian products that serve a specific function, but they're also the perfect canvas for creatives to express themselves on. In many ways, it's like Nike's Air Force One. There are thousands of iterations of Air Force Ones. Each one is unique and different. Yet, each one is unmistakably still an Air Force One. That's the near-perfect canvas. And for Mr. Arnaud, his Remova bags possess the same attribute. In order for collaborations to feel authentic, they have to start authentic. Some brands may go too deep into trying to formulate a collaboration think about it. When you walk into a store or see something online and you instantly feel it's too forced, you know that feeling. And conversely, when you see something that's like, wow, that's dope. That moment, nine times out of 10, that moment happened because of how the collaboration started. Collaborations that feel natural start through relationships, the way Alexandre broke it down. There's definitely an art form to this how you can come together to create something brand new or something that neither brand would be able to do without each other. That's the way Romova's collaborations happen. I want to talk about you and your age and your youth and how, you know, I think it's it's well known that a lot of the luxury consumer is now the younger generation, is the millennials, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And you or a millennial as well, or even maybe a Gen Z, or i was. Millennial, would say. I think I'm. Are you Are you at the boundaries?
1: Okay, you're at the boundaries. Okay, yeah, yeah. The
0: boundaries. okay. Um, who do you think is, or what are the pros and cons of a millennial leading a luxury brand versus someone of a
1: more senior age? So I can start with the cons. Obviously, the the <laughs> the, the cons is the experience and mm-hmm. the management style and the relationships that you have built over a whole career, right? Mm-hmm. When you have twenty five years of experience, you have a whole network of people who you've been working with and stuff, which mathematically you can't have when you're when you're too young. Right. Um, and the pros are quite easy. I think um, it brings a new culture to um, companies, mm-hmm. uh, which is way more linked and close to startups and. Um, consumer kind of yeah consumer startups, yeah, and then also being connected to what happens in the consume, in, in your consumer base, I think helps understanding a little better what social networks are, how they 're used, et cetera, et cetera, instead of just looking at how your kids or, are yeah, yeah. Or how your kids are using it right right so so I think you know what I would like what I would say is is that it it helps on a daily basis on those terms. Mm-hmm. But again, then, you know, there's no perfect recipe, so yeah. the, the best would be a millennial with 25 years of experience, but that's yeah. just difficult well, to find.
0: Well, you could argue that maybe that is you, because you've been a CEO for three years, but you've actually been yeah. immersed in it all your yeah, yeah, life that's in true. a way, that's true, right? that's true, that's true, that's true. Yeah, I mean, how was it like sort of being in the epicenter of LVMH the, your entire life?
1: Was fascinating. I saw it grow and being created. You know, it was uh, super interesting to see all the little steps that were taken Mm -hmm. from acquisitions to growing brands to managing brands to doing all these things. Yeah, it was it was extremely interesting and for sure. uh, You know, going going through shops from age five and looking at all the details and looking at product and designers and stuff since you're five years old.
0: Right, right, totally. (laughs) Um, I wanted to also ask you, like LVMH aside, like let's say your dad had like a hardware store and he wanted you to like take over the hardware store. It's common for kids to be like, I don't want to take over the hardware store. I don't want to take over the business or like go into the business. You know, were you of that mindset or were you more like, no, I'm definitely part of the business? Like, did you ever explore the opportunity of maybe like, I won't be part of the LVMH family?
1: No. So I worked outside a little bit. I worked at McKinsey as a consultant, Mm -hmm. as an analyst at KKR, the private equity firm and then when the opportunity came to run remova i think i jumped on it because it's also a way for me to be an entrepreneur within the group mm-hmm. so acquire a business integrate it and then grow it as part of the group so which is completely what i wanted to do with my life so i'm very happy
0: right wow what an experience that must be like and but you still have the the family to be able to like help you out with like you know the experience that you were saying a 26 year old might not have in terms of yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah no for sure and i think the group is also you know it's quite decentralized when it comes to brands but then again, there's a big holding company that helps on HR mm-hmm. topics, finance topics, uh, real estate, all these things that are yeah. uh, could be centralized and are, are giving a lot of help.
0: Being that this is sort of like an entrepreneurial operation, what have you found is the most challenging thing so far?
1: Um, people. Mm. I think what you always hear is that CEOs spend 30 to 50 of percent of their time recruiting managing and firing people and you know i think that's completely true and that's closer to 75% in my case really yeah because since the company was uh changing rapidly we mm-hmm. had to really um hire a lot of i think we made maybe 600 hires or something over over the last 3 years wow yeah so so it was a lot of uh, turnover a lot of positive change and and that that has been the biggest challenge
0: and i've heard from your team that if you're here for like a year and a half you're like a veteran
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> technically, yeah, because if you if you're you know if we hired six hundred people for three years, yeah, you're halfway do, old do, already. Do, do the math. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. I mean, which which is also why I think we're we're a startup without being a startup, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're in startup in a way where nobody has worked together in the past, and all of everybody has different experiences from the group, from outside the group, and they're all learning how to work together. Yet. Yeah we're not a startup because we, we make profits. Mm-hmm. We, we have a product, we have a consumer base, we have stores and things like that. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, I'm wondering when you interview
0: someone, are you more like looking at their resume or are you more about the face?
1: It completely depends. Hi, it completely depends. Hey Kim. What's up?
2: Good. How are you doing? Good. Nice, to see you. How are you? nice to see you too.
1: You? Thanks for joining us. Oh, cool. How are you doing Kim? I'm good, sorry I'm a bit late. Welcome to the no, office. No. <laughs> yeah, we're just
2: finishing the next show because it all gets launched on Friday.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah.
2: Thanks for stopping in. Pleasure. So we were just talking,
0: actually, this might be a good segue point, but you were just finishing up about one of the most challenging things about being at a brand is human resources, not in the HR sense, but finding good people and... And managing managing them as well. Yeah. So when you, I was going to ask, when you interview people, are you more like,
2: where did you go to school? Where did you graduate or are you more just reading their face?
1: No, reading their face
2: 100%. 100%? I'm always about the person and seeing their really? skill set. It's quite often we get people, I mean Lucy who's been with me for f- 13 years mm-hmm. came as a work experience from college and I she was just had this thing about her which I knew she should have to stay and I just asked her. Yeah. And ever since then we've worked together. You just get the feel it's in, it's a you know innate feeling that this person's right. Mm-hmm. So you hire off of gut? Yeah. So all those kids trying to get like their PhD somewhere. Just remember that. <laughs> remember yeah. that. I mean, it's, you know, it's like you need to see that people have got the dedication and that they will work through all that and prepare to. You know, it's expensive to go to college now, so yeah. you know they they're prepared to do that because they believe they're going to do really well. And it's like, you know, I see a lot of young people that are really talented, and mm-hmm. you know, tons of them I'd love to hire, but I can only have a few. Yeah. Do you find that
0: young people who are really good at social media tend to be more awkward in real life?
1: Mm,
2: I mean, I don't look at social media as a point of view of whether they're good or not, because
1: it's quite often not. You I know. think it depends what you mean by being really good at social media. If being really <laughs> right, good yeah. means having a lot of followers, and then no. it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a different thing. Yeah,
2: I like to see, you know, I like real, everything real for me is very important, mm-hmm. especially when you work in the luxury sector, from touching fabric to having an experience with a person in the store or anywhere, it's important.
0: Hmm, I have to agree with them here. I'm sure Kim and Alexandre aren't the only ones who feel this way. See, social media is a great way for the industry at large to see everyone and everything. It's a great wide view on culture. But drilling down to who's authentic, who's talented, who's real, it can definitely be challenging, right? It's a bit like online dating, isn't it? You see a hundred people in minutes, but who's real and who's a creep? (laughs) So what does that mean for you guys who might be trying to get recognition by an industry at large? Your experience, your resume, and your education, unfortunately, might not be enough on its own. On the same token, just because you know the good side of your face or know how to pose in front of a camera, that won't be enough either. You have to figure out a way to express who you are as a person and what substance you bring to the table. Substance is the real key here. That is ultimately what will distinguish you from the rest of the pack. Kim recognizes that there are so many talented young people out there, but only so many opportunities. How does someone like him realize that you challenge someone's thinking, that you can bring new ideas, and that you can disrupt the norm? You might have read about the gig or slash economy and culture that we live in today. And usually it's great. Everyone now has the freedom to hop around and do whatever they want whenever they want. Awesome. But to me, the gig economy is like kryptonite for the expert economy. And that's a problem. We need experts. We need masters. We need people who are willing to go at something for those 10,000 proverbial hours. And it's like a dying art form. And in my opinion, the world still very much needs people who are willing to show dedication to their craft. Um, Just before you came in, um, we were talking about your love of Remova and the collaboration that you guys did. Um, When you had the opportunity to start doing this, what was going through your head from a design standpoint?
2: Um, I mean, because I see Remova as very much a manufactured product, so it was how to go around the way to create something different and new with that. Mm -hmm. But knowing that, that was really how it started.
0: And And your products are much more... Portable than what Remova is known for in terms of like you could actually just carry it in your hand and walk around with it all day. I mean,
2: they're things that you you know you use every day, and I think you know the thing is you take a suitcase to travel, but to have things that you can use every day that are going to protect what you have and you know last the um, test of time are really important for Mm -hmm. me. And you know you can make those little boxes that we made into lots of different things, and I think that's really you know um, exciting because we could you know potentially that opens up to customizing them, personalizing them,
0: yeah. Um, Kim, you are authentically streetwear minded. Like you're not, I don't see you as like
2: somebody who thinks this is like the fad du jour. Like I, you've been. I mean, I, I started working time. at Gimme Five in 1999 when I was at college and it was, um, I was the stockroom guy, like packing boxes and it was Supremes, Juicy Bathing Ape. Yeah. Good enough. All these different brands. And it was just like, I got. I met Nigo, Hiroshi, Jun Takahashi, all those people then. Mm -hmm. I was like a kid and it was like, you know, I saw how they made clothes and I don't, you know, streetwear is such a weird word for me because everyone wears clothes in the street, but it's a different price point. But, you know, back then they were super expensive and I think that it just really, that thing of like men's modern, you know, the modern wardrobe is a mix of everything. Yeah, it's all street. It's like looking at different parts of it is really you know, everyone's wearing sneakers here. Mm -hmm. It's like that streetwear, but it's like, you know, they come from different places. And I just think it's the integrating of things. It's just the natural progression. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, your different brands mean different things. But for me, it's just, you know, it's a natural progression to work with different people across different Mm -hmm. areas. It stimulates people's thinking and processes.
0: Yeah. But you bring a real fashion design edge to it versus
2: like, did you ever have an inclination to just do like a T-shirt brand? Um, I mean, well, I used to have my own label and it was like that we did T-shirts, but I tended not to want to do them. I wanted to do like proper fashion pieces. It mm-hmm. was like, that's exciting. I love working in luxury because of the resources and the technology you have. And then also the archives that you work with and it's yeah. respecting the house that you work for. It's like VTons a travel brands. So it was based on trunks. It was like, so we'd look at journeys to do the c- collections. And then at the end, you know, when I was there for the last couple of years, we wanted to look at different brand so we did Fragment with Hiroshi because I'd known Hiroshi for ages and he's one of my heroes and then I had a call with Michael Burke and he was like can you give me James Jebby's number I said I will if you give me a collaboration with him <laughs> so it was a trade you know it was like and it was just you know I had a very good relationship with Michael still and it's like um, just the thing of really um, you know pushing way people think yeah. you know exciting people Vuitton's like such a massive brand mm-hmm. you can do a lot with it and yours more you know for me it's a couture house so it's looking if you do work with people in that way it has to be in a couture aspect way so you're lifting it up not taking it you know it's about elevating always when you first got to Dior what was like one of the first things you did um well I knew I wanted to do the thing with cause and I went straight into the archive and I found the Bobby bottle which was the fragrance bottle and I thought that was the perfect way to start something with him because of the BFF Mm -hmm and then I went through the archive and I picked out all the things. I look at Christian Dior himself because he was a couture for 10 years, he was a gallerist for 15 years and he was also an artist in between that. So mm-hmm. I like the idea that he had all those different disciplines and backgrounds and they're all things I love and they fit together. And I have a thing where I look at tailoring elegance and couture for Dior and that's the things that I look at as the pinnacle of the three things we base everything on. Okay because you came from streetwear or you worked
0: intimately in streetwear and now you you're seeing streetwear's influence and street culture's influence on luxury i want to get from your point of view do you think this is a passing trend like one day it won't be like this or this is this is it
2: i think things go in circles and cycles and i think you know what we see now is like what happened you know in the 90s and it's like I don't think things go away now. I think they stay. You know, Alex knows that very well. And, you know, the people he works with and all the different things he understands that those two things can fit on the same plane. It's just a different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will change. I mean, you've got brands, you know, like Elix and Ambush and all the people that I work with. And it's like they come from that background, but they're very much fashion labels. Yeah. And it's like a fashion brand and the price point is a fashion price point. It's like it's a different thing. Right. Nowadays, I think everybody you know, everyone's happy to see things open up. I Mm -hmm. think it's exciting. Do you
0: think 25, 30 years from now, the elixirs and ambushes of the world will be
2: the luxury houses? I think they definitely will because both Matt and Yoon have the ambition to do so. Mm -hmm. And they've got the knowledge and the know-how to do it. Yeah. Um, Where do you think it... You mentioned it's a cycle. Where are we in it right now? Um, I mean, it's kind of been around, I don't know, maybe five years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, looking at Virgil, for example, who's a really good example of someone that balances both aspects in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, I always love Virgil and I've known him for years and years. And it's just the fact that he's educating a huge generation into, you know, getting out there and seeing how hard the work is. And the book that he just did with The Working Progress shows mm-hmm. people that it's not just that Instagram image. It is actually hard work. Right, right. And you have to be there and do things and be constant. And it's like, be aware and, you know, when we have conversations between ourselves, we're constantly thinking about what's new, who's the new thing. You know, if I have dinner with Alex, we, we know we question each other. And I think it's really, those things are stimulating and I think it's really important. And I think, you know, that sort of thing, you know, everyone's looking at is really, you know, it's, I don't know how it's involving. I just think about my work. Yeah. Because it's there's so much to do. Yeah. You've both gotten the chance to intimately work with Virgil. What do you
0: think it is about him that's, makes him unique and special
1: his creativity Mm -hmm. and his understanding of culture at every level Mm. i think it's been fascinating to see that he's been able to innovate on furniture music suitcases clothes yeah it's almost all all different yeah yeah, yeah. water i mean all these things um, all these different categories which are super interesting for him to apply his creativity to them and that's number one and number two i think is his work ethics Mm. which people you know they see him going to dj and things like that but he's working hard like it's insane we yeah. have these whatsapp groups between our teams and his teams and he's, he'll text you know yeah. every two hours for <laughs> four days in a row so you're wondering when is he, <laughs> when sleeping? Is he sleeping right <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> a bit like naomi <laughs> <laughs> so it like, but it's
2: the thing what do you think i mean it's just that thing of constantly being a lot and you know I mean, I woke up at 2.30 last night because I was thinking about something and I got an email from someone and I was like, I shouldn't shouldn't look at my phone, but I had to reply to every single question. <laughs> it's about 40 questions, but just because I wanted to get it done so I could sleep again. Right. And you just have that thing where, you know, with him, it's like we're constantly messaging each other. We don't talk about each other's work or what we're doing because obviously we're competitors in that aspect. But, you know, it's like he had put up some of his new store designs and I was just saying how much I love them and stuff because one of them was really impressive. And it's like... You know, and then he's talking about something that I've done. And it's like, and then we're just talking about our friends in general and mm-hmm. things like that. And it's like, you know, it's kind of, I would, you know, imagine we'd probably do something together at one point because it's kind of seems like an obvious thing to do. And it's For like, sure. we've worked together with Kanye in 2007. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know how each other works. We were going to do something together at VTON a while ago. And the things are in the book. Um, and it was kind of like, we had a styling day and working day together. And it's kind of just, You know, he's someone that I really have a lot of faith in and, you know, I I love him. He's a great guy. If there's someone who
0: embodies the idea of bringing the worlds of streetwear and luxury together, without a doubt, Kim is the innovator. And if there is someone's brain to pick on the evolution of the two intertwining, his perspective here is golden. He briefly mentioned it. But Kim was involved in Gimme 5 before any luxury appointment. Now, if you don't know, Gimme 5 is one of the marquee UK distributors of key streetwear brands like Stussy, Bape, Supreme, Double Taps, and so much more coming to Europe. We're talking OGs in the game here. And we're also not talking about the glamorous life you might be thinking of when you hear those names now. We're talking about ground floor days where everyone was really not knowing what the fuck they were doing. So Kim being involved in the game from this day shows he knows what he's talking about in terms of street culture from the ground up. Virgil Abloh is now carrying the torch at Louis Vuitton with his own unique approach and perspective. Kim definitely helped lay that foundation. Any luxury brand can make tees and sneakers, but Kim was able to infuse more than just replicating the quote-unquote right street items. I mean, we all know the legendary Supreme collab, but that really brought the best from both brands together. And also, don't forget that Kim had the foresight to know that the elusiveness of Hiroshi Fujiwara's fragment design had to come to the LV house even before Supreme. As trends work in cycles, it's the people who are blending the worlds that will help cement it into fashion and style. Just look at Kim's Dior team. Jewelry from Yunnan of Ambush. Accessory hardware from Matthew Williams of Elix. These are designers with foundations in streetwear, but who also hold the ability to execute on a luxury level. Kim isn't out here building trends. He's creating what menswear will be in the future. Being a collaborator yourself and someone who issues collaborations, so you sit on both sides of the table... What
2: what do you try to look for
0: in people that you
2: work with? Um, like-mindedness, someone that makes me think in a different way. Daniel was a really great example. Daniel Arsham, right? Yeah, yeah, of looking at how his work, we could interpret it in fabrications and techniques and things. I think that was, for me, the real challenge because it's a really artisanal way of making things and then mm-hmm. working on that in the way that it can become real objects because everything we do has to be a commercial piece. Mm-hmm. We do not We do couture pieces which are very high price points, but they have to be able to be made for someone to buy them if they want them. Mm-hmm. And so it was really putting that together. When you say challenging, but you mean good challenging. Yeah, I mean, a, a healthy challenge. I hate not being challenged. It's boring. Mm. I don't like being bored. I like to get on. I'm not constantly thinking about everything.
0: How about when you guys worked together on the project? Was there any challenges there?
2: It's. It was learning how... Rumoa works as a um, oh, oh, thing. With like the operations, yeah, and what we could do. And, you know, we had like a long list of what we wanted to do, and then we narrowed down to what we could actually do. But that's, you know, that's how things are. Yeah. And I think because I've worked in the industry long enough, that's, you know, that's an acceptable thing, and you're fine with it. It's not like you get, like, oh, that's really frustrating. It's just a fact. How about, how about you, Alex?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good. Example of—I mean—he's defined pretty well what was challenging for us. The most challenging part was seeing this whole list and saying, "Oh my God, we're sorry, we can't do this." Yeah, you know, because <laughs> we, we were we were so excited about everything, <laughs> but unfortunately, that like I was saying earlier, the industrial tool is so unflexible that it's very difficult for us. And yet, we managed to make some quite good progress. I think mostly on that champagne case, on the yeah, that's the, the hand cases, you know, also and especially the small. Uh, yeah.
0: clutches. Right. Was your was your initial list crazy?
1: It
2: was not I mean I have to find <laughs> it again because we've we've done so much since then, but there were just I probably didn't see the first first yeah, one. Yeah, there were there were there lots of linguistics like, you know yeah. and it was just really like things I wanted things that could be used daily. Mm-hmm. That was my main thing that was interested. Was, and there was things that were very special, things like you know, someone coming there because the picnic case, for example, with a champagne Mm -hmm. bottle, I love the idea of something extravagant coming from something that's uh, uh, something unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And then I also love the fact of something that could be used daily because you can't use a suitcase daily necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Though, you know, you say you can't use a suitcase daily, which I agree, but... I live out of one, though. (laughs) If if you go to Asia, there's a lot of people who use their suitcases every day to carry their documents because... Backpacks or whatever are, are you know heavy and stuff, and this suitcase is just easy to move around. Yeah, true. yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned like your initial long list, right? And being able to work with a company like, do you have to set your ego aside when that happens? Because you have this intention, and then you have to make—I don't know if compromise is the right word—but it is a collaboration, so it's a two-way
2: conversation, right? I never think about me when I'm doing stuff. I think I don't even when I'm designing. I think about the consumer and i don 't think I think about when we 're doing this thing i 'm thinking about the two brands i 'm not thinking about me mm. it 's really it 's you know you 're the vessel that 's making it happen, but you 're working for these two people yeah what 's happened in the last you know it's it's the visibility of it's so huge now mm-hmm. compared to how it was before, and there were certain countries you'd see it all the time, like Japan. And now you see it everywhere. Every yeah. time I go through the airport, I'm constantly looking for them and I just see them everywhere.
0: Yeah. When you travel, are you constantly also, we talked about this earlier, but like, are you looking at the way
2: people travel? I'm a scanner. I see everything. It's like, really, <laughs> and sometimes it's a bit rude when I'm at dinner because I'm looking at some, what someone's wearing in the corner while I'm talking to someone. But I just, I look at everything.
0: So, my friend just put out a book, and I rarely plug someone's thing on this show, but it makes perfect sense, so I'm just going to do it. But check out Rob Walker's book, The Art of Noticing. The overarching idea is this. Put down your phone, get off the hamster wheel, and just look. Just look. Observe and learn. It's that simple. And just as much as Alexan has helped build his tenure at Remova through listening to other people and how they travel... Kim Jones always observes and learns from what everyone chooses to wear and how they wear them. That's design for function. Selfless design for the consumer. Even at the highest role, Kim never puts himself first, especially during collaborations. And that's a great reminder for all of us. A good designer has the ability to make very good things. And there are a lot of good designers. But a great designer... A great designer is making things for other people. And in order to do that, you first have to be a great observer. Okay, so I wanted to wrap up with with this last question for both of you. Um, We earlier had a conversation about how a millennial is leading a luxury brand right now where the biggest demographic and consumer base is now the young millennials. Uh, We talked about the pros and the cons of sort of, millennial leading it versus like someone more senior so now that we have sitting in the room a young gun and a veteran i want each of you to give each other a bit of advice so first the
2: veteran can give the young gun some advice and please the young are are you a veteran i don't know you're an og i've been around a while you're an og for sure Um, i i don't you know what with alexander it's like he knows what he's doing he knows what always and this is like i don't want to you know, be too complimentary. But when you talk about a brand that's really no one knows about, it, he knows about it. Mm-hmm. He's got his eye on everything, and I think that's being of his generation. But he's also someone that has that instinctive knowledge to want to learn that. It's yeah. not something you can people can tell you. He's he you always ask me questions, but you know them before I've always asked you a question. <laughs> so it's kind of like. Okay. It's just that thing of like, you know, I like how fast Alex works. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't have anything to say. I think for me, I, we work incredibly fast. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I've got my godson doing work experience with us at the moment, and he really is shocked at how fast I make decisions. But how old, how old is your godson? He's 16. Okay. But it's just like really like, that's how things are nowadays. It's like so it's no, no advice from. There must be some, some <sighs> sage no words advice. of experience. Not really, because it's like, it's... You know, he knows what he's doing. Look how (laughs) successful it is.
1: Okay, your turn. (laughs) It's difficult to give advice now. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, for me, it's, you know, all about being curious. And I think you're one of the most curious people I know, which drives your creativity all the way from brands to animals in Africa to all these things. And I think... Stay as curious as you can and continue being even more curious. And that's I think for me the key to creativity is, is curiosity. Yeah,
2: that's why I'm going to Namibia tonight. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Are we we- Namibia. Wow. So but no but it's like the thing is like I'm always people always ask me about travel because it's been something
1: I've done since I'm three months old. So I've seen all different parts of the world. If you go if you go to any city in the world and you want a good restaurant you text Kim. He might <laughs> yeah. not know the good restaurant, mm-hmm. but he will know someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. One degree of separation. Who, exactly. who will take you to the most impossible place to get a reservation. At. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very
2: good for holiday
1: recommendations
2: too. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thanks a lot, guys. That cool. was awesome. Thank thanks you. so much.
1: Perfect. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to our season opener of The Business of Hype with these two legends, Alexandre Arnaud of Remova and Kim Jones of Christian Dior. If you want to find out more about the show and listen to other episodes or our other shows, check out hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. I think we're everywhere now. Also, please leave a rating and comment to tell us what you think of the show. And give us a shout out on social media. I love hearing your favorite lines from each episode. We do occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers-Berry. Our associate producers are Sidney Bacumpra and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the LVMH headquarters in Paris, France. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.